Welcome to another edition of Mormonland. I'm managing editor Dave Noyce, and I oversee our faith coverage. I'm joined again by senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Dave. For the past 25 plus years, it has been the policy at LDS Church on Brigham Young University that it is okay to be gay, but just not to act on it. That echoes the position taken by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There are clearly students who are open about their LGBTQ identity while living the church's standard of celibacy. But what about faculty and administrators? Ben Shalati is a licensed therapist and BYU Honor Code administrator who has written his story in a newly released book titled, A Walk in My Shoes, Questions I'm Often Asked as a Gay Latter-day Saint, put out by the church's own publishing house, Deseret Book. He joins us today to talk about his personal story and his work at BYU. He joins us today via Zoom. Ben, welcome. Hey guys, happy to be here. We're glad to have you with us. So Ben, tell us briefly, or, or what, what, what prompted you to write this book? Yeah, that's a great question. And I just want to say, first of all, that I'm here as a, as a private citizen. I work at, at Brigham Young University, but I'm not here representing the university. Uh, I started blogging about uh, six years ago about my experiences as, as a gay Latter-day Saint. And, you know, blogs have really short shelf lives. Like even if someone, even if I, I would write something that I really liked and then people would care for maybe half a day or a few days, but then it would just get left out on the internet. And I had a lot of things that, that I wanted to say. And uh, so I, I thought that, that a book would be a good way to, to maybe keep my words on someone's shelf for, for maybe a couple of years to give them a chance to read it. Uh, another thing is, you know, I have a pretty palatable story for Larry Saints to, to, to take in. And, and I, I was hoping that, that my story w- would encourage people to talk to the LGBTQ loved ones in their lives as well. How has the book been received so far? You know, most I've gotten feedback from people who know me so very well. <laughs> um, and I, that doesn't I, you know, always happen, but right. yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty short read. It's 160 pages. A lot of my friends read it in an afternoon that the audiobook is like four and a half hours long. Um, so it's a pretty quick read, but I, I, I really tried hard to not write a gay book, you know, quote unquote, but, but a book about the atonement of Jesus Christ and about receiving personal re- revelation. And so a, a lot of the feedback I've gotten is that people have said, you know, I was, I picked up this book to learn about the LGBTQ Latter-day Saint experience, but I actually learned a lot about uh, principles that, that affect my life that's totally different. So that, that's been a lot of the feedback I've received that I've really, that's been really uh, meaningful to me. How'd you get Desert Book on board? Did you, did you think that the church's official publishing house would want to publish your book? You know, it was always uh, my. It, it was it was the hope that they would they would publish it, but I didn't know if they would. So um, I I just wrote a proposal and and sent it off uh, about a year and a half ago in the summer of 2019. And I worked really hard on the proposal. I, I heard back from them maybe like a week or two later, and they basically said, "We're very busy. We might read your proposal in the fall." And I thought, well, that was a kind no. And then November rolled around and they actually did read it in the fall. And they said, we would love to see your manuscript. And I said, I didn't write anything. So I then uh, wrote the book in seven weeks and sent it off and, and uh, they, they approved it and we went through the editing and that's, that's how it came to be. So I, I just, you know, it was a pie in the sky dream. I reached out, just threw it out there and, and they liked it. So tell our listeners a little bit about your story. Like when did you first recognize your sexual orientation and, coming out just a brief overview yeah so so i grew up in the seattle area my parents were both converts to the church um they they, had jo- they joined the church before they had any kids uh, a year after they got married um so i you know i grew i grew up in an in, in the in the 90s and early 2000s and you know at the time even in society it wasn't okay to be gay 
So I first realized that I was attracted to other guys when I was in middle school. And this wasn't super distressing to me because it was just a phase and it was going to go away. And so I didn't talk to anyone about being gay. I would have denied being gay. It was just, you know, something that was, that was passing that would, that would go away when I was on my mission. And so I, I started a mission in Mexico and came back. And it wasn't until after my mission, uh, just a couple of days after being home, that I thought, oh, no, that, that didn't work. So what am I supposed to do now? And I was able to deny what was going on for another two years because I thought, you know, I just need to be like Nephi who said, if you go and do, God will prepare the way. But I thought if I just pray enough and fast enough and go to the temple enough and date enough that, that this will go away. So it wasn't until I was about 23 that I actually really started to face the realities of my life. So, so when, Ben, and how did you come out to your family? Yeah. So I came out to my two best friends, uh, when I was 23 in the, the summer of 2007. And then I came out to my parents, uh, that Thanksgiving, I, I was studying at BYU at the time. And so I, I flew home for Thanksgiving. And at the time I'd only told four people uh, about my attractions and I wouldn't have said I was gay back then. I would have said that I was more attracted to men than women. Cause that was easier for me to say. And I got home for Thanksgiving and I knew I had to tell my parents. And the first day home, I was just so nervous. I just felt physically ill. I was so nervous all day. And then the next day I, I just felt nervous again, the whole day. I thought, well, if I don't tell them now I'm going to wreck this whole trip. And so my parents were like in the kitchen and dining room. I just, and I was sitting in the living room. I asked if they would come in cause I wanted to tell them something. And so with no preamble, I just threw this on them. And I knew that my parents were going to be loving and kind. And, and they were, um, they just responded so well. And then my mom said, do you think this is a phase? And I said, I hope so. And my dad said, well, you're probably better off being single because being married is hard. You know, very, <laughs> very typical things could be worse. So be grateful for what you got. Um, and about once every, uh, about once a year for the next seven years, my dad would say, so how's the whole same sex attraction thing going? And I would say, good. And that was all we, we really talked about that. They tried to open the door, but I wasn't ready to talk about it. And then when I was 30, I'm, I'm 37 now, I just kind of unloaded on my parents and just kind of finally let them into what had been going on all these years. And, and that's when my, my mom told me, she said, if you need to leave the church and marry a man, you and he will always be part of our family. And so my parents have, have really honored my agency from the very beginning. And I know that, that they honor it now. Do you have siblings? I do. I have three siblings. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the baby. And uh, if you read the book, you'll find out I was an accident. I was not a planned pregnancy. Um, and uh, I came out to my sister when I was 25. My sister uh, was single then and still is single. She, she's never been married. And she was complaining about not dating or something. And I, I came out and, well, you think you've got it hard. I've got it hard. And that was not the best way to do it. But uh, she and I are very close and it, it was okay. Uh, and I came out to my other brothers in, in my late 20s a couple years later. And it wasn't because I didn't trust them. It was just, you know, it didn't come up. I was doing well. And uh, I just told them when I, when I felt ready to. So how did this self-awareness affect your Latter-day Saint faith? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people talk about having a faith crisis. I don't think I've ever had a faith crisis. I've always had a really strong testimony and belief of, 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 God and Jesus Christ. Like that was, and a lot of LGBTQ Larry Saints will talk about being angry at God. That was never something I experienced. I, what was hard for me was, well, how does this fit in? So it, it wasn't a question of, 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 of like, why would you do this to me? But okay, how am I supposed to make this work? And so like, like my faith in the things that matter, I don't think it was ever in question. Um, but I did have a bit of what I would call a trust crisis where I wondered, okay, church leaders are saying this, but this is what I'm experiencing. And the two things don't always match up. And so uh, what it's really done for me is, is kind of put me in a tension 
of, okay, well, uh, being, being a liar isn't always the easiest choice. You know, being active in the church isn't the easiest choice. And so I, I get to constantly choose, well, well do I want to be part of this church? Is this where I'm supposed to be? And as I've, as I've prayed and pondered about that, I felt really strongly that, that, that uh, I, I, I want to live a, a life within the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I realize that that's just my story. That's not everyone's story, but, but that is what I personally have, have felt compelled to do. So you write in the book about falling in love with a man. Mm-hmm. Explain how that, why that was important to write about and how yeah. your view of the church. Yeah. So um, each chapter in my, in my book is based on, on a question that, that I get asked. And, and the question for, for that chapter was, have you ever acted on your feelings? And is it okay if I just, just read uh, a paragraph from that, from that chapter? Certainly. So, um, let's see. And this chapter is called really super awesome best friends because when Jordan and I had this relationship, he wanted to be boyfriends. I was like, well, we can't be boyfriends, but we can be really super awesome best friends. That was kind of like my loophole for this guy that I was in love with and had romantic feelings for. Uh, so, so this is what I wrote. Um, it's okay to be gay. I'm often told as long as you don't act on it, this communicates to me that it's fine to be gay as long as you don't do gay things. I understood that acting on it included far more than behaviors that violated the law of chastity, including things that heterosexual couples were allowed to act on. I was terrified that any little thing I could do, I could do could be defined as acting on it and would disqualify me from being righteous. Acting on it was a firm line. And if I crossed that line, I'd be out. And then at the end of the chapter, um, I write as a gay person, I express love in the same way that heterosexual people do. I hope that instead of tiptoeing around this reality by using the euphemism acting on it, we can just use the words we, we would use when discussing any other relationship, dating, holding hands, kissing, falling in love. Not using those words doesn't prevent people from acting. It just increases the distance between action and compassion. Uh, so the, the reason I, I felt this chapter was so important is because um, I have just seen a lot of uh, straight people dismiss my LGBTQ friends and loved ones uh, when they form a same-sex relationship. And I wanted someone to just get the opportunity to see what was it like for me to fall in love with a man? What was that experience like? Uh, hopefully so that I could increase the compassion that they have for their LGBTQ loved ones who are in same-sex relationship. That experience of yours was really pivotal in terms of understanding your your future in the church and your relationship. And it's great to say people should have compassion, heterosexuals should have compassion, but you had to make a choice. How hard was that? How could you give up someone you loved? Yeah. You know, uh, my relationship with Jordan when I was 30, honestly, I think is the hinge point of my story. Um, that changed everything for me. And, you know, you ask how hard was it? Literally, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And so there was a point where, uh, Jordan said that we weren't going to like our being super awesome. Best friends wasn't going to work for him anymore. We either had to, I either had to be in the relationship or we were going to be done. And I said, I just can't be in a relationship with you. And so he cut things off. And I was living in Arizona at the time. He was living in Utah, and I was so depressed when 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 we broke when, when we broke up. I guess that'd be the right term. Uh, and so I got in my car in Arizona and drove up to Utah. And I remember driving by all these temples as I as I drove up to a, to his house. You know, I saw that you know the the, the Payson Temple and the Provo Temple and the Mount Sipanoa's Temple and the Draper Temple and the Ochre Mountain Temple. You know, driving by all these temples, and I thought, Am I willing to make a choice that would be able to keep me from not going to the temple? 
And so when I got to his house and we talked, uh, I told him that I was going to choose him over the church, but that was the choice I was willing to make. And he made the most compassionate choice he could, he could make. He said, Ben, I know you better than that. You would choose the church over me in the future. This is over. And so at a point where I was going to make a choice that was going to take me outside of this religion that, that I loved, you know, he made the choice for me. And so, you know, I, I, I often say, you know, I was one Jordan's choice away from stepping away from the church. Um, and you know, I don't know how my life would have turned out differently had he chosen to be in a relationship with me. I, you know, I don't know how, how that would have evolved. Um, but it was, it was, uh, the, I think the hardest thing that has ever happened to me, you know, and I, of course, like most people have tough things happening in, in my life, but, um, it was really hard to, to give up someone that I just cared about so much that I, I, there was nothing wrong with the relationship. It was just about the nature of the relationship. And, um, yeah, it was tough. And so I, I, I have so much compassion for anyone who, who chooses to be in a same sex relationship because I know what that's like. And I know how good it was and how, how, how great it felt and, and how whole it made me feel. Um, and yet that's not a choice I'm making now. So your book has the title and you just referred to it you know, questions you're often asked as a gay Latter-day Saint, you just answered one. Uh, what are some other questions that you're often asked and how do you answer them? Yeah. So, uh, the, the, the book I organize in a way that, you know, I, I would hope I was hoping to take people on a journey with me. And so the first couple of questions are just really simple questions about like, is being gay even real? So the first couple of questions are, were you born gay? When did you know you were gay? Is being gay a choice? Why did you come out? Why don't you marry a woman? And then, and towards the end, uh, I, I tried to, to have questions that would, you know, now that someone understands that being gay isn't a choice, that it's a complex reality for, for many people, you know, what can we do to, to improve the lives of the LGBTQ people in our lives? So, you know, some of the questions are, why do you talk about your orientation at church? Uh, what have you learned as a gay man in a straight community? How do you deal with the loss of the life you thought you'd have? You know, what can I do to minister to LGBTQ members of the church? And um, so, yeah, so I, I, I tried to take people on a journey from this is a real thing to, to what can we do to make it better? So, so in one of the questions, why do you talk about it at church? Why would you? Yeah. So, um, I first came out publicly when I was living in Tucson, that's where I, I did my, some of my graduate work. And, uh, the, the first time I came out was, uh, while teaching an elders quorum lesson and I had not planned on, on coming out in this elders quorum lesson. And I just really felt prompted to do so. And so I, I told the whole quorum that I was gay as I was teaching. And then, um, I, I didn't find out about this till, till months later. Uh, but one of the bishopric members said that he saw me sit down after I taught and he just like saw me sigh and saw this it's like an actual weight come off of me. And he said it was so beautiful just to see like, like what an important thing it was for me to disclose that to my quorum. And he could see the immediate healing that I felt. <laughs> and that day there, there was a friend of the missionaries who was at church and he identifies as bisexual. And he was like, I didn't think that there were gay people who were, who were Mormon. And, uh, uh, and he was just like really heartened to see that. Um, and then uh, later on, I, I, I was in a, a family ward because I, I graduated from the singles ward without honors when I turned 31. And, uh, I was, I was called to be the, the ward mission leader in my ward. And that same day I was going to be sustained as ward mission leader. I was asked to give a talk and I asked the Bishop if I could come out in my talk. And he said, I don't see why that would be a problem. And so I was a stranger to most of the people in the ward and, and they all sustained me as ward mission leader, as ward mission leader. Then I walked up to the pulpit and told them all I was gay. And at the end of a sacrament meeting, there was a receiving line of people, at least half a dozen of people I'd never met before, just telling me how grateful they were that I was 
was in the ward and how happy they were to have me there. And I was just like enveloped in that ward. Uh, they just loved me and cared about me so much. And it was the first time I was able to talk about uh, being gay at church. And, you know, I didn't talk about it all the time, but whenever it was relevant, when I, when I was teaching or, or, or giving comments and people just loved me so much. And I remember one time uh, going out to lunch uh, or, or to dinner with, with the Bishop's family and another family from the ward. And we just laughed and laughed and had such a good time. And, and I just, I just remember thinking I could live in Tucson for the rest of my life and have the best life ever. Like, I just love it here. And everyone knew me. They, they knew everything about me. And I know that if I hadn't been open, there would have been that nagging feeling in the back of my head. Like if they knew, would they still love me? But I didn't have to wonder anymore because they did know. So you talk about your own hinge point in your personal story. There was a really pivotal moment for the church when it comes to LGBTQ issues. What did you think about the November 2015 policy that, that declared LGBTQ member couples apostates and, and barring them from having their kids blessed or baptized? Yeah. Um, I, I have a whole chapter about the policy uh, in in the book called The Policy, um, and uh, I had I had written three blog posts uh, previously about the policy, and so this chapter is kind of uh, stitching those three posts together. Uh, one about when the policy happened, um, and then one uh, when it got, got reversed, and then, and then one when when President Nelson talked about it uh, six months after it was reversed at, at BYU. Um, that was one of the most painful things that has ever happened. Um, I remember uh, it happened just shortly after there were three new apostles called. It was Elder Rasband, Elder Stevenson, and um, Elder Renland. And I don't know why I thought this, but like one of my first thoughts when it happened, and 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 we found out it was real that it wasn't just a just some hoax on the internet. I thought, how could they do this to me? Like I, I don't know why I thought about the three of them. I was like, I was like, how could these men do this to me? And you know, I, I that was coming from a place of hurt and pain, but it was just really painful. And, you know, a lot of people talked about how it was hard, you know, that, that LGBT, the children of, of same sex and same sex of same sex couples couldn't get baptized. What was hard for me was the label apostate, um, because I thought, you know, I, I would love to be in a same sex marriage and I don't feel like I'm an apostate. Like, I don't feel like I'm turning from truth. So that was really tough for me. And I remember just wondering how I could stay in the church. And then, um, the, uh, that, that, uh, that interview with other Christofferson came out uh, maybe like a Friday evening or a Saturday evening. I can't remember what, what day it was. And I just, I just, I just was wondering like, is this even worth it? Like how do I, this community doesn't want me. And then the next morning I got just dozens of text messages, and emails and Facebook messages from friends. Just like reaching out to see how I was doing. And they said, you know, Ben, we love you. We care about you. You belong here. We claim you. And, you know, I, I thought, you know, I don't know what's happening at church headquarters. Like, I, I don't know why these decisions are being made that are painful, but the people that know me and care about me, the boots on the ground, they want me here. And this isn't the Church of Jesus Christ of the November 2015 policy. It's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And Latter-day Saints want me in their community. And so it, it, was, it was a painful couple of years. The policy never made sense to me. Um, and I, I prayed about it and pondered about it a lot. Um, and uh, it was just such a relief when it was reversed. So how do you see your future in the church? And do you think you'll be straight in the hereafter? <laughs> those are those are good questions and big questions, Peggy. Um, so I see I, I can't envision I, I can't envision a, a future for me myself that I, that's not involved in, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. I just can't imagine that. I just 
every time I've thought about leaving, I just feel pulled to stay e- even stronger. And, and, you know, I, I, I in the book, I talk about, uh, instead of saying, you know, am I going to stay in the church? I, I try and think about, well, how am I going to move forward in the church? Because I don't want to stay stagnant. I, I want to continue growing and developing. And, and, and I've taken that kind of a step farther now to, to asking, you know, how does God want me to work in his vineyard? Like, like what, what can I do to contribute to his kingdom? And so I, I feel that, that for me, that involves actively participating in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, I was called to be a high counselor a year and a half ago. And when I was called, my, my stake president told me, he said, Ben, we're not calling you to be the gay high counselor, uh, but you can talk about being gay as little or as much as you like. And so I, I see my, my life in the church as, as one of, of service, of, of doing what I can to, to build other people. Um, and I also want to do a lot to, to educate um, uh, Larry Saints on the LGBTQ Larry Saint experience. And, and my agenda, like I have an actual gay agenda, like my gay agenda is I want everyone who hears my story to go and talk to their LGBTQ loved one to hear their story. So that's, that's what I hope happens. But as for, you know, whether or not I'll be gay in the next life, uh, I've, I've changed my opinion on this a couple of times. And so I reserve the right to change my opinion about this in the future again. Uh, but if you had asked 23 year old Ben, I would have said being gay is a trial of this life. It is an issue of mortality. And as soon as I am dead, I will be fixed to this. And then when I was dating Jordan, I was like, no, being gay is part of my eternal essence. It is part of my soul. And I want to be sealed to Jordan for all eternity. And now I just allow myself to, to live in the ambiguity. Um, you know, th- there's that verse in, in 1 Corinthians 2.9 that says, uh, where Paul says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the hearts of the children of men the things which God hath prepared for them to love him. And then um, there, there's a verse in, in Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verse 3, that says, you cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning those things which will come hereafter. And there's one more verse I'll quote. Uh, it's First John 3, 2, where John writes, a Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but this we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. I love that verse. Well, all those verses, because they say, you know, we can't even envision what heaven's going to look like. We can't see it. We don't, we don't know what it's going to be like. Uh, and then that verse from, from, from John that, that says, you know, we know we're the children of God and we don't know what we're going to be like, but we know that we're supposed to be like Jesus. And so my position right now is, you know, whether I'm gay or straight in the next life, it doesn't really matter if I don't develop the attributes of the savior. Um, but my hunch is that this is something that is going to stay with me. So let's turn to your occupation at BYU. Um, once again, she stated you're here representing your views, not, not the schools necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, there was quite the to-do about the honor code um, when, uh, over LGBT couples expressing romantic affection um, at, on, at the campus. Um, it, it appeared at first that the, the policy was that was going to go away, that, that ban on that, I guess. Then it was reinforced. Um, uh, what did you think about that whole thing? And, and, and what maybe do people not know that, that, that we're following that? Yeah, you know, I, I think that it's important for people to understand that whether or not you agreed with the policy or not, um, it was a really painful thing for LGBTQ students at BYU. Um, I, I hurt so much that week. Um, knowing the pain that that it was going to cause to my to to, to my, my friends at BYU and the LGBTQ students, I didn't know. Uh, there, there's a story I, I tell in my book about you know the 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 the, Nove- the, the fall of the November 2015 policy, where I was attending church and. 
and I just was struggling so much with the policy and, and, uh, in, in one church meeting, people kept, you know, bearing their testimonies and talking about how the church is led by a prophet. And I was just so angry, just so, so angry. And when sacrament was over, I was just going to storm out of there. And I was sitting next to my friend who was the primary president. And she said, and she, she could, ask, she could tell I wasn't okay. And I, she asked me how I was doing. I said, I'm going home. I don't want to be here today. And she said, Ben, just come to primary with me. And so for two hours, I sat on a chair that was too small for me and sang primary songs. And that began to heal my soul. Like I, I just felt the spirit. I felt like the, the parts of me that just hurt started, started to be healed. And, and I walked away knowing I was going to come back the next week. And when, when I, when I heard about the, the, the letter from, uh, the, the letter that was stating that, that same sex romantic behavior was a violation of the honor code, I just knew that so many people were going to be hurt. Like I had hurt before. And, you know, my big question was, who metaphorically is going to invite them to primary? Like who's going to make sure that they're in a place where they can feel God's love and where the, the this part that just hurts so much uh, can be healed. And so I opened up my office doors and let anyone who wanted to come in, talk to me. And I still have that policy. Any student who wants to come talk to me is, is welcome to swing by the honor code office and, and have a chat with me. And so, um, you know, whether or not you agree with the policy, it was a painful thing for a lot of people. And, uh, when, 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 when any of the children of God hurt, we should hurt with them and be there with them. So how are BYU students, LGBTQs and, and their allies, you know, and, and, and sympathetic people too. And, and it seems like there's a lot of them, of course, from the rallies that were held navigating BYU and this, I mean, it, it, some apparently left the school or don't plan to come back. Um, how are they doing? Yeah. You know, I, I think that it's such an individual thing. Um, you know, I, I know uh, gay employees, students, and, you know, people are responding in different ways and, and to different degrees. You know, I, I plan on having my, my whole career at BYU and staying there. And I know a number of LGBTQ students who are planning on finishing their degrees as well. And then some who just couldn't um, stand by what had happened and, and left. And, you know, I, I respect all of those choices. So I would say, you know, to ask like how are LGBTQ students doing at BYU, it, it's such a wide range that, that it's hard to say. Um, but, uh, I, I was really heartened to see the way that, um, straight allies rallied around the LGBTQ students. Um, you know, I, I think that, that there was a, a visible show of support for LGBTQ students that we might not have seen in the past. I thought that was really beautiful. So what do you think about books like John Gee's book that says that, you know, um, same-sex attraction is caused by abuse in childhood and that that LGBTQ kids, when they grow up, are likely to abuse others. Yeah, so I, I, I haven't read... On sale at Desert Book, just like yours. Yeah, so I haven't read John Gee's book, so I just, uh, but I have heard about it and, and that section. Um, I, I've read lots of books about the causes of, of homosexuality and, and, and how to, quote unquote, uh, fix it. Um, I first started reading those books when I was uh, in my early 20s and closeted at BYU. And I would go to the BYU library, look up these books, and then read them in a study carol and then reshell them so I would, wouldn't have to check them out so they wouldn't be linked to my name. And, you know, I, I read about, you know, all these causes of same-sex attraction, like, 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 like having an overbearing mother and a distant father and childhood abuse and, you know, all these things that just, that just like didn't fit into my story at all. And so before even, even having like a huge background in psychology, I had dismissed all of those, all of those things because they didn't apply to my life at all. Um, so 
I think that sometimes we, uh, some people are, are so uncomfortable with the reality of, of LGBTQ people that they will come up with all kinds of ways to, to dismiss our reality. But the truth is, um, you know, we exist, we're here. And, you know, I tried everything imaginable to, to, to fix what I felt was wrong and ended up just as gay as I'd always been. So I'm not, I don't think that this is something to be fixed. And uh, I was never abused, nor have I abused anyone. And, uh, I, I think it's, it's really damaging to, um, to, I, I think those kinds of things saying that, that people who are gay were abused and then will abuse. I just think that that creates a, a, a culture of fear around people who like me, who are different. So last question, what would you like to see the church do differently on LGBTQ issues? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we, we used to be at this place where, you know, being gay was like this bad deviant thing. And then we kind of moved to a place of like, well, we have LGBTQ people in our congregations and we kind of feel bad for them and pity them. And I, I think in a lot of ways we're, we're at that point right now, like I, I feel pitied a lot and I, I want us to get to a place where we look at LGBTQ people and their unique contribution to the kingdom of God and to the church. Like that's what I want to see happen. You know, I, I have a couple chapters in my book where I talk about um, things that I can do as a gay single man that I couldn't, if I were a married straight man. And so, you know, I don't want anyone to pity me, uh, for, for, for my life. I want people to look at my life and say, okay, what, what unique contributions can Ben make? So that's what I want to see change, uh, going from a culture of pitying LGBTQ people to looking at, at us as, as blessings and as integral parts of the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Well, the book, again, is titled A Walk in My Shoes, Questions I'm Often Asked as a Gay Latter-day Saint. Ben Shalati, thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. And hey, be well and stay safe, gay. Will do. Thank you. And thanks to Peggy Fletcher-Stack. Always a pleasure. And to our producer, Chris Samuels, we want to remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up, and we'll talk again next time on Mormonland. Land.